fun seeing all those kids this morning. We weren't sure how many kids we would have on a, on a holiday weekend, and we had a ton, and that was beautiful. Um, and kind of thinking on that train, thinking of, of, of those youngest kids, I was thinking this week how um, growing up, I was the youngest, or at least pretty, I was maybe one month older than one of my cousins, but I was the youngest kid on both sides of my family. So all of my cousins were older than me, and for the most part, significantly older than me. Uh, so I never really knew what it was like or never grew up around infants or other little children because I was the infant and the little children to my whole family. And so as, at least, at least until my friends started having kids, and then I started more and over these past few years kind of hanging out with some infants and some little kids. And, and there was one time, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was hanging out with, with a friend and he just had a second child. So we had one child that was about 18 months old and then he just had a daughter and she was about a week old now. And we were hanging out, and I was enjoying just how cute little kids can be. But then I also started to realize just how helpless little kids can be. Um, they, little kids, uh, they, they can't, or at least they won't, put food in their own mouths. They, um, they won't put their clothes on, or at least they won't keep them on. They won't wash themselves, and they can't change themselves, so they'll run around dirty and, and soiled as long as they can. Um, and at that moment, as I was thinking about that, as if to maybe reinforce this newfound knowledge, the toddler, the 18-month-old, starts crying because he would like some milk. And so his parents, being good parents, they get him a cup of milk, a little sippy cup, and they give it to him. And then he starts crying because he doesn't want milk anymore. And he's holding a cup of milk, and that makes him very angry. <laughs> and it's at that point that I decided, you know what, I'm really not going to rush into this old kids thing. <laughs> We're just going to let this go and let this be. And they'll mature. Those kids, they'll grow up. They'll get better. They'll mature in age. Um, but that's the thing is, is that even though they get older, it doesn't necessarily mean we mature or that we grow up. Yeah? And sometimes that's true in terms of our faith, too. We can still act like little kids. Um, Many of us here today, or some of us here today, may just be starting out our lives as Christians. We stay, still may be the little kids that don't quite know how to feed ourselves or don't want to feed ourselves. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to be in that space and to be learning, but it does mean that we're relatively helpless on our own when we're first starting out. We need to be looked after. We need to be fed. We need to be clothed. We need to be shown how to act by those who are older than us or at least more mature in their faith. And even for those of us who have been Christians for decades, there are times when we say we want spiritual milk, but then when we get it, we just don't want it anymore. <laughs> Regardless of our maturity in Christ, we all benefit from continually being taught and reinforced kind of those foundations of faith of what it means to be a child of God. Our passage today starts with John, and he addresses it to little children in the faith. And so I'd like all for you, as, as, and as we've talked about these little kids, keeping that in mind, if you would turn with me, and, and a little heads up, this I'm going to be referencing a lot of different things in the first couple chapters of John, and they won't all be on the screen, and so if you would, I would love for you to turn there yourself, turn to First John chapter 2 with me. Um, it's one of the last books in the Bible, we'll be jumping around a little bit, but we'll be starting in chapter 2, verse 28 for today, um, and we'll, this part will be up on the screen. And so as you're turning there, if you're turning there with me, I'd like you to be thinking about, why does John begin this passage as addressing little children? 
right? Why is he talking to little children? What is he saying here that, that applies to little children, keeping in mind what we've said previously about little children? Um, and what foundations, what things of, that are foundational to life is he talking about here? How do we benefit from being reminded of them? All right, so starting in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28, we read this. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, and you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. All right, would you guys pray with me? Dear Father, as we dive into these words of John, may you send your Holy Spirit, open them up to us, let us see them and and see the wisdom and the maturity and, and the how they apply into our lives. And Lord, um, yeah, as I stand up here and I preach, Lord, may everything that we say and talk about today be for your glory and honor. May none of this come back on me or be for my benefit, but purely pointing to you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so now in the previous section, so last week we, we started in verse 18, we were talking to, and if you're looking in chapter two, you'll notice that verse 18 started with the address to children, not little children, children. So maybe a little step up in in maturity level. And John was saying this to children who I would classify as Christians who, as he said back in verse 13, where he also said children, Uh, see I'm connecting some dots here, but the children knew the father, right? Their faith had matured enough so that when false teachers came up, they could say, and the false teachers were claiming that Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a man with a godly spirit, or, or he was God, but he wasn't really actually a man. And he's saying, they, they're mature enough to say, nope, that's wrong. I know that's wrong. But maybe they weren't quite sure what to do with that message. I, I know it's wrong, but do we throw them out? Do we, do we say, stop teaching that here, go out from us? Do we keep them here, try to convince them or whatnot? But then they had people who were more mature in the faith. In those few verses before that, they, John talks about the young men and the fathers, and they knew to reject that message. But John wrote to these children, to say, affirming them to say, hey, follow the example of those people who are a little bit more mature, a little bit further on in their journey in faith, and reject this message entirely because it's false and it, no good is going to come out of it. But now he addresses the little children. Looking in verse 28, he says, To the little children who are just starting to grasp that good news of the gospel. They're just starting to grasp that and, and come to grips with that, that, that promise that their sins are forgiven. And as he states that in verse 12, he says that in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And he introduces it back in verse 1 of chapter 2. We, this is the second sermon that I preached back in John. This was something he talked about as well. And it's coming forth, that whole force of that message is coming forth into play today. Because their faith is new, or it's just starting to mature, the message of these false teachers was probably really confusing to them. They might not have known which side, who was telling the truth. Was was John and the apostles and these these people who have been Christians for a long time telling the truth, or is these new teachers coming out with some new knowledge? Is that what I should be following? And so John says this. He says, you needed help. You're little children. You don't quite know how to fend for yourself yet. You still need to be fed. And so 
And just as we often need help today. And so in discerning what is truth and in discerning what is false, John says to the, this to them. He says, abide in Jesus. We must abide in Jesus. Because though we may be unsure now, though we may have doubts as to which teaching is true or, or where we're supposed to follow, if we abide in him, we will see that Jesus is the truth. What he says, what's in this book is the truth because... Jesus made us part of his family. And just as the parents and the older siblings in a family, they help raise the little children and help them mature, help them figure out how to put clothes on and to feed themselves, so our family, among whom the firstborn is Jesus, he's our eldest brother, and we have the father is God, they'll help us mature and to find out and to know this truth for ourselves so that we can dress ourselves and feed ourselves. And so these are the three point, main points of foundation um, that John kind of addresses today that we're going to run through. So the first is that when you're abiding in Jesus, you grow to know and to realize that we can be confident in our salvation. Right? Number two, looking forward, that we know that we're loved by God. And number three, that we get to anticipate, anticipate the transformation that'll come when Jesus comes again. These are the three kind of foundations that we get to know that we'll learn to know first as we abide in Jesus and as we trust in him and we follow these examples of of our older um, siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, so number one, first foundation, we can be confident in our salvation. So look with me in verse one. John writes that we should abide in him, meaning Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Which is a bold thing to think about. Because several other, other stories in the Bible, among them, uh, Jesus has that parable about the goats and the sheep. If you're familiar with that, Jesus talks about how the goats thought they knew Jesus, but he said, be, go away from me, you don't actually know me. And the sheep are like, how, when did I see you? When did I know you? And he says, you did. Right? And that's an easy, that's one that a lot of us struggle with, thinking, am I a goat? Am I a sheep? How do I know? And John's saying, he's relating to those, and he's saying that you can have reassurance, and you can be, it is, you can be able to be confident in your salvation. And it won't be a false confidence, right? It won't be a goat. You will be the sheep, because we'll know that our sins are forgiven. How? Because back in verse one, as he or back in chapter one and verses five through nine, we have been confessing our sins to God, and we've been experiencing Him, him time and time again, washing us clean. And so we get that reassurance time and time again that yes, you are clean. Yes, you are clean. Yes, I've cleansed you. Even though you have a doubt now, yes, I've still cleansed you. We know our clothing has been washed white because we keep confessing our sins, bringing them into the light, not hiding them over in the darkness. And in verse 9, he says this. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John continues to hammer this point home in verse 12 when he again writes to the little children. He says this. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You may not know it, you may not understand it, you may not feel like it, but they are. And then he comes here into verse 28 and says, because of this, you can be confident in your salvation. Because we've been abiding in him, confessing our sins and knowing he's forgiven. And then we will not shrink in shame from him when he comes again. 
We won't shrink in shame because all of the sins that were in the darkness will have been brought into the light. and We don't have anything left in the darkness to bring forth. And confidence feels like such a strange thing in our culture. It's not something that we're supposed to practice. You think about how we talk. Think about the way we start our sentences. We say, well, I I think we should maybe, or um, I would kind of like to. Or you say, well, I'm not sure if this is right, but, you know, what if we think about it this way? Or what if we did this? And honestly, we do that with good reason, because we recognize we're human. We don't have the capacity to know everything, and, and often the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know. Many times the people who seem to be the most confident in something are the people who shouldn't be the most confident in something. And one of the few things that our culture is willing to put its confidence in is science, mathematics, statistics. Those are the things that we, we think we can point to and say, hey, we should have confidence in that. But even in science, they have things like confidence levels, and they never reach 100%, right? Or they have the propagation of errors, and so they have uncertainty. They'll give you a number, but they'll give you an uncertainty about the range that that number could fall in because there are still errors. There is no thing is 100% confident, even in science. And the list goes on and on from there. And yet, even though we can't know everything, John is saying that we can be confident in this. Completely counter to the culture that we're in. Confident that if we abide in Jesus believing in him and confessing our sin, we are cleansed from sin and we will have eternal life. So John's saying this to the little children, remember. The little children who can't feed themselves, who can't put on their own clothes, who don't really know how to, and can't survive on their own. Those who are just starting to wrestle with their faith, who are just starting to come into the faith and the knowledge of God, the knowledge that their sins are actually forgiven. And so if we're doubting, if we're having that hard time figuring out what to believe in God or believe about God, what's truth, what's, what's wrong, John has this to say. He says, abide in Jesus for now. Continue wrestling, continue asking questions. And while you're doing that, abide in Jesus. Remain in him. And what does this look like? Well, as John's been writing to this point, it looks like, I'll hammer this home again, continuing to confess our sins working to love our brother and sister, showing that love, being in community with those who are more mature in their faith. In verse 29, he writes, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so when you look around the church, when you look around at our community, who is that person that you would think, man, they are a righteous person. And they probably won't think they are, but you know they are. You see it. You see the way they live. You see the way they love and the way they act. And when you find that person, when you know who that is, Go talk to them. Go spend time with them. Bring them into your corner. Make them your person and have them mentor you, disciple you, even if they don't think that they're worthy to do it. Because you know, you've seen the maturity in their faith and you know that what they have to offer will help you grow. And lastly, reading and contemplating God's word. Right? God gave us his word. He gave us these words in here, not because we're always going to understand everything they say, but because they are good and beneficial and they will teach us. And we have to struggle with them and we have to wrestle with them and we have to learn. We have to go to people who have struggled and wrestled and learned from them a lot to have maybe learn from them a little bit. And through all of this, in conjunction with prayer, prayer is an absolutely a, a good, vital component, whether we're praying for ourselves or whether other people are praying for us too, through all of this, when we're abiding in Jesus, 
we will be able to be confident in our salvation. We will come to know the testimony of Jesus will be written on our hearts and we'll have that. And as we do these things, we'll come to know that we are loved by God. That's our second kind of point and foundation for today. We'll know that we are loved. If you look with me in chapter 3, looking in verse 1, John writes this, See, or maybe a fuller translation would be, Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. As we're abiding in Jesus, as we experience the love that he has for us, and it's not the self-serving, or it's not the limited, and it's not the conditioned love that we're used to getting from the world, from the people around us. Behold, it's the kind of love that makes us God's children meaning that he cares for us, he provides for us, he protects us, he heals us, and he leads us in the way that's best. I want to take a moment, I want to acknowledge that being part of the family or being told that you'll be brought into a family or that you'll have a father isn't always, doesn't seem like a source of good news for many of us. Because we've had families that are, that we've experienced that are dysfunctional, right? Where they're abusive, Maybe they're manipulative. Or maybe you've even had to cut yourself off from your biological family for your own health and your own survival. It's sad and it's a grievous reality of this world that sin would cause that division, that sin would cause those problems in our family. And so we're hesitant to have and call God as Father. We don't necessarily know what it means to relate to a Father who loves us. And if this is where you're at, if this is what you're feeling, I invite all of us, because all of our families have dysfunction to some type or extent, to consider the kind of love that he's showed of us. When he says, what kind, behold, what kind of love. This is the kind of love where God was willing to leave his position of power and authority, to leave the throne room where everything is perfect, and he was willing to come down to earth as a measly little human tiny little speck on a tiny little rock in the midst of the universe so that he could go through our pains and our struggles with us. Not just to observe what's happening with us, not just to be like, oh, this is interesting to see what you're doing, but no, to be right there with us experiencing those same things that we're experiencing. Let that sink in for a moment that Jesus experienced what you're experiencing. Think for a moment of the pains. Maybe you don't want to think about this, so do it to whatever capacity you're able to at this point, but the pains that you've suffered in the past that have shaped and have affected who you are today and the pains that you're going through today, maybe even the pains that you're going to go through in the future, and know that Jesus is going through them with you, experiencing them with you. He knows how much it hurts because he's feeling the hurt with you. But not only that, not only is he experiencing it with you, but he's taking that pain. And he's taking the consequences of that pain from your past that sometimes that is affecting you today, the consequences of the pain and the actions of others and of ourselves today. And he's taking those consequences upon him. 
he took those consequences upon himself. And he took all of those things and he took our death and he suffered through it by himself, not with us, by himself, willingly, for us, so that we wouldn't have to. That's the kind of love that the Father shows us and wants to show us when he calls us family. There's a family that I'm, I'm close to, and a little while ago they went and they had to get... Um, they had to go get legal counsel. They were in a situation in their own family and they didn't know how to handle it or what, how to move forward with it. And so they went and saw a lawyer and the lawyer himself was not a Christian. And as, as they're relating this experience and this ordeal to him, at the end of it, he says to them, he says, you must be religious because I don't know how you have endured and put up with this for this long. Now he knew, right? He knew with head knowledge. He knew how they put up with them. He said it himself, you must be religious, right? But it's that deep down understanding and knowing that he couldn't quite, or at least express that he couldn't quite understand. How could you put up with this for this long? And that's the part of, that's the knowing that John talks about here in that second part of verse one. The reason why the world doesn't know us as Christians is because it doesn't know him. It doesn't know the love that we're trying to show to each other that he showed to us because it doesn't necessarily know him and the love that he was showing on their behalf yet. Knowing the deep down in your gut understanding of the pain and the price that he paid. And this isn't the kind of love that the world practices. This isn't the kind of love that we've experienced in this world, oftentimes oftentimes for fellow Christians too, because it doesn't fully know the love that God gives. It doesn't fully grasp that deep down understanding of the full price of the cross when Jesus took, took the consequences of our pain. And so I invite you to get to know this love. And if you've, if you've started to know it, if you've started to kind of figure out or think about what it is to, to dive even deeper into it, and if you've been walking in it for a long time to continue to dive even deeper, because God's continually perfecting our love, continually teaching us how to love in the way that he already loved us. And if this is something you'd like to do, if it's something like you do for the first time, or, or you'd like to learn or understand how to do this even more, come talk to me. Pull me, over, pull me over across the after the service. Um, pull one of our elders or our deacons after the service. We've got their pictures on the wall underneath the TV out there. If, look at their picture, and if there's one of them you're comfortable with, pull them. Doug, you're shaking your head, but I know you're good at it. All right? I know you're good at it. Because with as great as an experience as it is to love while on earth and while going through the trials and tribulations of our life, right? And as much as that's going to minister to us and... and, and it's going to be something like we've never experienced before. There's still more to it. Because we get to look forward to the perfection of love. We're not just on the journey towards perfection that we'll never achieve. There is a point at which it will be achieved. And that's when Jesus comes again. And that's the third foundation that John's laying out today. We get to anticipate our transformation. Anticipate our transformation from those who are trying us and, and learning how to love like Christ to actually being able to love perfectly 
you look with me in verse 2 of chapter 3, so John writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Right now, we get to be God's children. We get to experience the love of God while we live on earth. It's not just the thing that we look forward to. We actually do get to experience it here. And that's a part of the gospel that our world desperately needs to hear, that we desperately need to hear. Because even though we live in in better houses with more food, more leisure time, and hundreds of more choices for entertainment than any of the kings in history ever got to experience, right? We have so much more than any king could have ever had our community is still experiencing record levels of loneliness and depression and a whole lot of other things that we don't know how to deal with. Our advances in technology, our our increases in levels of education, and, and the better health that we get, the longer life expectancies that we have, do not take away the effects of sin. The people around us, we are desperate to experience the kind of love that God gives. Even though we may not know it, even though we may not fully understand it, we may know it, but we may not fully understand how much we need it. Deep down in our souls, we're yearning for it, and the people around us in our communities and in our nation are yearning for it. And it's a beautiful thing for us to be able to experience it here on earth. But that's not even half of it. Because as life-changing as it is to experience a father who actually loves you, unconditioned love for the first time, it's going to be a far greater experience to experience a world where love is perfected. And we get to live in a world that God will make his residence in. He'll be our next-door neighbor. As John says, we know, with our heads this time, we know that we will be made like Christ when he comes. But through the love that we experience through on earth, we are only beginning to know with that deep down gut understanding what a perfected love will be like when he comes again. I think about when I was growing up, um, played little t-ball and and little soccer and whatnot, growing up through elementary and, and whatnot, and it was... It was fun because you actually got to go out and play sports, and that was an enjoyable experience. But the people I was always playing against were the other kids from my hometown. And so every year when they do the, the draft and you'd have the kids split up under the different teams, you're always wondering, all right, which kids, which, which of the good kids are going to be on my team, and I get to play with them. And it's always a moment of sadness when you realize who's not on your team, and you have to play against them. But my dad always said this. He's like, just wait. Soon enough, you'll all be together and you all get to play on the same team. And I was junior high and high school, and I was so excited for that. That was going to be so awesome. And in the same way, John points us to that glory when Jesus comes again. No longer will we have to suffer division, division in ourselves, in our families, in our communities, in our world, and even in our relationship with God. What has already begun to be united will be fully realized when Jesus comes again. We'll all be on the same team. This, children of God, little children and big children, are the promises that God makes when he says that we should abide in his son Jesus. 
So let me encourage us all to continue to abide in him. Whatever our doubts, whatever our life circumstances, wherever we're finding ourselves, even if we may not feel like we're there, know that we are. Because he's made that promise to us. If you believe in him, he is faithful and just and will not forsake you. And I'd like to close today with us proclaiming these promises to ourselves and, and maybe as we leave here to our neighbors. And so we've got um, a couple things that, that our denomination, the RCA, holds as standards of faith. And so we're going to use the first two questions of, of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so it'll be up here on the screen. So question number one, if you guys would uh, read out, I'll ask you the question and you read out the answer back to me. So, Christ Church, what is your only comfort in life and death? that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And what must you know, Christ Church, to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Father, we come to you with doubts. We come to you with uncertainties. We come to you with maybe not knowing where we're at, what we believe, or we don't necessarily feel the promises that you've made to us or are affecting us. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Help us to grow. Put the people in our life that you've put in our community to help us and to show us how to grow and to, to teach us in that manner. And Lord, may we know it. Not just with our heads, but also with our guts. And may the two come together, Lord, and may you continue to work in our lives so we may have that joy and comfort in life and death. Father, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.